Hello and welcome to What the Denmark. We're back for our third season with lots of exciting and interesting episodes for you to listen to. In this episode, we're attempting to shed light on what some would say is the key aspect of Danish culture and Scandinavian culture in general, Jantelon. Jentelon, or the law of Jente, comes from a fictional piece of work written about a provincial Danish town. It was written about 70 years ago or so, but it still seems to hold good in Danish culture today. It consists of 10 commandments saying how individuals should not think that they're anything special. To explore the topic, we speak to journalist and author of the book, The Almost Nearly Perfect People, Michael Booth. Then we came back, and it's only really when I came back the second time that I started to really appreciate, and now over the years, grow to love Denmark and really wouldn't want to live anywhere else right now. As well as Søren Ledet, the co-founder of Geranium, a Copenhagen restaurant, which in June 2022 was named the best restaurant in the world. He shared his views on Jendelon through his experience of hiring international staff and the benefits of moving out of your cultural comfort zone. Understanding Jantelon is essential for understanding Denmark. And so we hope you enjoyed these conversations. Michael, welcome. Hello, it's great to be here. Yeah, Thank you for having me. Not all, uh, so can you perhaps just give us a bit of uh, background on who you are, where you came from? Yep, I'm a journalist and author, non-fiction book writer. So I came to Denmark because of a Danish woman, of course, who is now my wife, around about the turn of the century, which makes me sound extremely old. And I'd been a, a journalist working in London up until that point. And when I came to Denmark, I was looking around, learning the country, and a few things started to strike me that I didn't, I was really, really ignorant about Denmark before I came here. Mm. I was one of those people who thought, it, you know, is that Holland or mm. is it the capital of Sweden? It, really, my knowledge was zero even though my wife had tried to explain a few things to me before we moved here. But the thing that as a journalist got me interested was this kind of dynamic between the Nordic countries mm. and how they, because from the outside, we all look at them as this big homogenous, bearded, recycling bunch of the Scandinavians, right? And we have an impression of them. And then I discovered how vastly diverse and different they were. And then the juicy stuff was what they thought about each other mm. and the differences and that weird family dynamic and I thought there could be a book in that, just explaining it to the rest of the world, who these people are, the different tribes, and especially the Danes, obviously, who I know the best. Mm. Well, since the book is actually a bit of a step on my journey to Denmark. I'm not sure if I told you this. About five years ago, I met a Danish girl uh, who I thought was quite cute and quite interesting. And when I came back to England for the summer, I was living in, um, in East Africa at the time. I noticed this book, The Almost Nearly Perfect People on the Table, and I read it very, very quickly to then go back to East Africa where I'd met this Danish girl to then impress her with my knowledge of Denmark. And I'm not legally responsible. I'm just going to put that on the record. I'm just very happy that it still worked out. Exactly. (laughs) Because when I mentioned this to her family, they're like, and you still wanted to come. You still liked her. Um, But anyway, yeah, so this actually had the book chair, which I think you've noticed in the studio. Um, that's the original book that I had from five years ago. And, and I think it's worth mentioning that this book is looking quite worn and sort of it's yellowing. So it's, yeah. it's, it's like, I think it's been a bit of a Bible for uh, It's been handed for around Sam, a bit. So, uh, yeah. 
Because your, your, your husband read it as well. He is well aware of it and also followed its track as it hit The Guardian and the uh, reactions to it following that, which was, uh, were they surprising? Because there were quite a lot of people who got quite upset about that book. <laughs> Yeah. So I started to write the book to explain the differences and just who these people are. And then this amazing kind of Scandinavian wave swept the world of, of culture and food and happiness phenomenon and all that kind of stuff. And so newspapers, particularly The Guardian, were guilty of this, would come once in a while to Copenhagen and say, what an amazing place. This is perfect. Everything's wonderful here. And I knew that it wasn't because I, I lived here and I knew there were good things and there were bad things. So I thought, okay, I'm going to be a bit more nuanced about it. And there's maybe it could be interesting to look into some of the the dark sides of what everyone was thinking is of uh, as a utopia. So the Guardian article especially was just designed to shake Guardian readers by their lapels and kind of wake them up a little bit and say, you know, no, the word utopia literally means does not exist, right? There is no utopia. There's a reason the Danes are so successful at some things, but there is a downside and there is a cost. And maybe we'll talk about that with Yantil or later. And so the article was a bit tongue in cheek. And it was, I didn't write the headline, but the headline was the, something like the dark side of the Scandinavian utopia or something like that. And I picked each of the Nordic countries and kind of went to town on them in a hopefully humorous, but also in quite negative way. And yeah, you're right, Josephine, it, it all kicked off. It was really satisfying because I did it to get attention, frankly. I did it to sell a book and it really did the trick. It worked. Yeah, it was like, a, a you know, the plan came together to the extent that the article came out in the morning. In the evening, I was making dinner for my kids in Denmark, listening to the Danish radio news, and it was mentioned on the news as I was making dinner for my kids. And I thought, oh my God, what have I done? And then I went and kind of looked at the <laughs> below the line stuff. And uh, a friend of mine who writes for The Guardian wrote to me and said, you know, this article has been in the top five most read articles online ever in wow. the history of The Guardian. And then I thought, okay, I really might be onto something here. I'm curious about when you arrived here, did it take you some time before it hit you that things were not utopia? How did you experience Denmark in the start and did yeah. it change? That's really interesting because I think especially for English people when you come here, superficially, it seems pretty understandable and easy to navigate and similar. You know, the Danes have that similar kind of ironic sense of humour. They like to cue and obey rules like the British. They're a bit suspicious of the Germans. Their food was terrible back then when I came here. You know, the dress sense, not so... They're not, they're not stylish, they're not sensual, they're not Southern European. I could see a lot of similarities with the English. And then it doesn't take a long time, I think, before when you hang out with Danes and you realise, okay, things don't quite function in the same way. They don't communicate in the same way. They don't talk about the same stuff. Especially, you know, 20 years ago, things were much more different. The, the contrast was much more marked. And then I started to learn Danish and read Danish newspapers and watch Danish TV news and find out about some of the social problems. Of course, I was aware of the taxes and some of the other irritations, minor irritations. The, you know, in England, we have this strange Baroque sense of manners and good behaviour and politeness, which in England we think is normal. <laughs> and you come to another country and everyone seems like barbarians. It's this Viking nation of people who elbow and don't have a word for please. And, you know, it was really quite shocking for me. And I'd had so many confrontations in Copenhagen with Danish people who were just, in my eyes, really rude and badly behaved. In their eyes, perfectly normal, no problem, you know. So those kind of things 
made me a little bit alert. And actually, to be honest, Josephine, I really didn't like it when I first came here. Mm-hmm. And I struggled for some years <laughs> to deal with the weather, the taxes, the attitude, and Yanti Law's part of that. And so in the end, I managed to persuade my wife, and then we had two kids. We went and lived in Paris for some years. Then we came back, and it's only really when I came back the second time that I started to really appreciate, and now, over the years, grow to love Denmark and really wouldn't want to live anywhere else right now. And I'm enormously grateful to live here and enormously grateful to have lived here during COVID, for example. Mm-hmm. When I, and, and when I look back, I don't know how you feel about Sam, when you look at the UK right now, it's an absolute disaster and I'm glad to be out of it. So it's been a long, slow journey, but I'm, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Almost of my own free will. I think it's interesting that you do mention Yandelone. How do you think that you experienced that when you arrived here? And did you know that this fictional set of rules actually existed? No, I had no idea. I experienced it long before I realized what it was and learned what it was. I experienced it in very subtle ways at a dinner table with lots of Danes. If you started to boast about something, try and explain some success, you know, I was a young, arrogant, bit of a dick probably, but I, and I would try and say, big myself up, let's say. Mm-hmm. Or, or that's how it would be seen amongst the Danes. So yeah. In the US, you would probably have come across right. maybe no, very humble. It, it would totally have not been yeah, humble and self-deprecating, yeah. yeah. But Danes <laughs> don't really do self-deprecating <laughs> either, actually. They have an incredibly developed sense of irony without the self-deprecation. And that I also <laughs> didn't get because I'd go from saying, oh, you know, I just had this piece published in The Guardian or whatever, and it and, and, and they just changed the subject. Hmm. Or... You know, I'm being published by one of the most prestigious publishers in the UK. He also publishes Salman Rushdie and Martin Amos and Bill Bryson. And, and they go, oh, that's nice, Michael. But anyway, where are we going to go on our holiday this year? Or, you know, the, the conversation would subtly be changed. No one would upbraid me and say, we don't boast in Denmark, Michael. No, no, no. There was never anything as direct as that. But you just sensed the conversation. <laughs> you, mm. you, you, you know, it would be like you broken wind or something the the mood would change and people would look it would just change right and so you kind of probably saw it as a conversation starter and something you could have talked about yes but but it wasn't it ended up being the opposite yeah and then i had other then i observed it amongst the danes for a while i took it personally and just thought everyone hated me which i'm used to (laughs) and then but then i saw the danes doing it to each other and that would be for example I'm going to change names and identities here, but let's say a friend of mine, a Dane, bought a big new Mercedes. His brother would come round, see the new Mercedes outside the house. This actually happened. And he'd joke, oh, did someone call a taxi? Rather than say, oh, wow, well done, Jan, you've bought a Mercedes. That's so cool and admire it. Immediately it would be like, you know, kind of the subtext would be, why do you need a Mercedes? What's wrong with a Renault? Or, you know, that kind of attitude. So then I, you know, I started to wonder what's going on here. What is this all about? And then began to read more about Danish society and Scandinavian culture generally, and this kind of tendency towards the middle ground and lack of boasting. And was this someone said, "Oh, Michael, this thing you you were talking about is Yantelor," or did you I, sort of? I can't. Rem- I honestly can't remember. Uh, probably I read about it somewhere, mm. researching about the Danes. One of my first jobs when I came here was to write the timeout guide to Copenhagen. So there was a lot of cultural background in that as well yeah no basically there was this whole sense that you should not stand out and for example a nice car that would be standing out and being different from the rest yeah i think that's one aspect of yantelor 
Another is just boasting about achievements. And there are some things it's okay to boast about in Denmark. And there's some things it's not okay to boast about. And it's really weird figuring out. I'm still figuring it out. So with children, for example, you can boast about if your child is really great at handball or is, you know, in some competition or whatever. But if they're really great at maths or academically, you don't talk about their scores and their grades, or you certainly don't boast about it in polite society. Family might be interested and you'll, you know. Mm. And here's an example that happened at the weekend. I went to some good friends' 25th wedding anniversary party. And they have a mutual friend who I see once every two years or something. And he was there. And I knew that he had worked with a massive Hollywood star. Uh, and the star had appeared in a film that my, this guy had written. And before I went there, I thought, because I'm bitterly jealous of this guy, obviously, <laughs> I thought, don't, I'm going to change names here again. Do whatever you do, Michael, don't talk about the film and the film star with, with Jens. You know, don't mention it. I get to the party, I see Jens, I'm just really happy for him. And I go, oh my God, Jens, you did that film with Tom Cruise. and That's amazing. The first thing I said, I couldn't control myself. And he um, didn't really want to talk about it. He said, he kind of joked, yeah, I've got Tom Cruise on my speed dial, but now I'm writing something and it's really bad. And I'm not, you know, he immediately went into damage limitation so that he didn't have to boast or be caught boasting about this Hollywood success. That's also very Danish, I think. That is very Yendelo. And actually the question is whether we should go through Yendelo. And I actually... Uh... Well, bit, yeah, because it, it all comes from a fictional book, doesn't it? I sort of thought this thing was, um, I don't I think we know where it came from, but then it, it was this book in the 1920s. There was yeah. This, And it, it was a, meant to be a reflection of society. It was a satire on provincial Danish society mm. by an author called Axel Sandemoser. And he lived in New Cobing. Uh, yeah. Uh, although he doesn't call it that. He calls it Yanto. So mm. it's a town. And he talks about, you know, petty life in this town. And he draws up this list of do's and don'ts about what you need to do to fit in that. Mm. You know, and it's a satire. But it really rang true for the Danes, I think. And I, I think maybe some Danes don't even know that it's satirical. Mm. Everyone knows Yanti law, but I don't think they know it was, uh, you know... Because some of them are ridiculous. It's like, you will not laugh at us. So the, the idea is this interplay between the society and the individual. That seems to be the... Or individuals, individual, between individuals, yeah. yeah. I mean, and these the kind of rules are quite probably common to all collective societies. Mm. Tall poppy syndrome kind of thing. And Danes often compare it to tall poppy syndrome and they say, well, it's everywhere. But tall poppy syndrome applies to people who try and show off. Yanti law applies to everyone all the time, is the thinking. And tall right? poppy is like, you should not stick your neck out. You should not yeah, yeah. go above. Don't drive know. the gold Rolls Royce. Mm -hmm. Don't wear the, you know, Dolce Gabbana floral print suit or, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's also a matter of wanting to look the same as everyone else and be the same as everyone else because you don't want to stand out. You don't want to be different. You don't want to shake the harmony of, you know, the society because then you'll be an outsider. No one want to be outside of their tribe and you very easily become an outsider, it seems, in the Danish tribe. And uh, that's basically what this Yendelo in a way, shows or expresses through this fictional piece of work. But it's interesting that you think they are almost ridiculous and extreme, Sam, because I don't. No, I'm not sure I think of them yeah. Yeah. actually in that I mean, way. When I say extreme, just, oh, I don't know, I'm just going through them now. You're not to think you know more than we do. You're not to think you're anything special. 
That's like, that's the headline. Yeah. That's and that's the, the one we always yeah, everyone goes to. tend to refer to. You're not to think you're as good as we are. You're not to think you're smarter than we are. And this is the the, the, the town of Yangtze. The commandments of the, the town. Of them, yeah. You're not to imagine yourself better than we are. You're not to think you know more than we do. You're not to think you are more important than we are. You're not to think you're good at anything. You're not to laugh at us. You're not to think anyone cares about you. You're not to think that you can teach us anything. They are. Some of them are quite extreme. You're right. <laughs> they are extreme, but they apply. I actually find them, uh, they make a lot of sense. And it's about the individual. Mm. You should really, I mean, you should not think you're anything. And you should not think that, you know, you know anything more. And definitely the idea of not laughing at someone, mm. you know, I think that people, they're quite proud here. You think that people are quite relaxed, but actually Danes are very proud people. And that's what that refers to. And if you shake that harmony that comes from obeying these rules, then you will be vilified very quickly. I think a lot of it has to do with equal societies as well. The more equal a society, the more are these tendencies prevalent to keep people down and to not disrupt the equality. Because that's what showing off and boasting and conspicuous consumption is. It disrupts the the equality, the equilibrium. Mm. So I think it's also a symptom of that. But I've come to see some positives in it as well, actually, Josefina, mm. because no one likes people who boast, right? No one likes... You know, I, I get irritated at, you know, behaviour outside of societal norms. The more I'm in Denmark, the more I get kind of brainwashed into being Danish, I guess. Mm. When I first came here, I would cross on a red, you know. Now, I, not so much. Now mm. I wait because I just think, why be an arrogant prick? Why not just <laughs> wait with everyone else? Yeah, I think one thing which comes up as like, because I find that Yantelon is kind of a bit of a boogeyman. Like whenever a Dane is sort of a bit unhappy with something, often yeah. Yantelon is the is the culprit. But one thing which I've, I've noticed, which I think I can potentially attribute to Yantelon, is um, eating out at a restaurant and this sort of low power distance between the waiter and the diner. And I really like it. I really like how you can just have a real like eye-to-eye conversation with your waiter. And even if you know, you're in this premise of someone's paying money to serve you, there's still this understanding that we are still humans. Like we, are, we have this underlying equality. When you go to other countries, there's very much this sense of deference between the waiter and the diner. Like, oh, yes, uh, you know, wonderful choice. Blah, blah, blah. And here it's much more sort of straightforward. Uh, I disagree with you on that one, Sam. Okay. I think uh, the bad service you get in most restaurants in Denmark is a symptom of Yantilor, true. <laughs> and the bad service you get everywhere in Denmark is a symptom of Yantilor because of this Oinhoit concept that yeah, everyone is I equal. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. And there are some situations where not everyone is equal. You don't have to be deferential, but you can be professional about your job. Mm-hmm. And I think Danes often muddle up it's those things. It's customer service, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And they think if I'm being... I think they perceive offering good service as being deferential, and it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. But culturally, they have that problem seeing, they're a bit blind to that, mm. I think. Yeah, I think people can come across as quite arrogant and non-caring in these situations. Mm. And that can seem frustrating if you don't understand that it is because of the way our society is put together with Oynhoite, as you mentioned, I height, you know, equal level. It's quite good that you separate the professionalism and maintaining that eye height because i'm thinking the ones which particularly good restaurant experiences have been at places where they have been professional but also yeah that's the best combination i agree yeah but also it's like oh you're going to the theater later i was there last week what do you think about so and so and like that that sense of like 
I can still speak to you. And actually, the Danes have kind of invented that perfect balance. Uh, mm. If you go to Noma, that's exactly what you get there. Mm. They're super informal and relaxed, but really know what they're doing and super professional. And that's the, you know, but you pay a lot for experience. <laughs> that's the that's the downside. We actually spoke with uh, the founder of Geranium, which is mm. the best restaurant in the world, also Danish. And yeah, it was interesting getting his view on Yanzilor and because he's sort of someone who's, you know, strived to be the very best. Rasmus and I have always thought you, you need to you need to hire people with your heart. Mm-hmm. You know. A CV doesn't really matter, you know. It I mean what, it, what is the heart for you? Well, that's their passion, you know, their soul, what they put into it. Mm. You can you can have the you can have people that have the best CV that's worked everywhere in the world, mm. and uh, that has all of the knowledge. But if they if you, they don't feel the way they should about the place that they work, they're never going to let that passion shine through. Mm. I think Danes have a, a certain way of being. I mean, we we like what what we know. We don't like the uncertainty of things we don't know. I think that's that's the nature of Scandinavian people. We started What the Denmark because there were various things about life in Denmark that we didn't understand. The duvets, the humour, jumping into the ocean in the middle of winter. One thing that I wasn't expecting is that Denmark needs international people to move here and work. Being a small country, there's only so much tech and other talent that's available, and lots of aspiring Danish companies are actively trying to hire internationals. These companies typically work in English, often are doing something interesting, and working for them means you get to live in one of the happiest countries in the world. If listening to What the Denmark has piqued your interest in the country, then go and check out the State of Denmark's website. There you can sign up to job alerts from Danish companies looking for internationals and read more about what your everyday life in Denmark could be like. Head to www.state-of-denmark.com forward slash WTD. That is quite a mouthful. The link is also in the show notes. Now, back to the show. The thing which he particularly picked up on was, I think the last one of the Antilon, which is, you can't teach us anything. Because he, he really felt that there was this mentality in Denmark of, yeah, we kind of know everything. And for him, like when they... They had a few years of running the restaurants before they um, hired their first international. And they were like really worried. So like, okay, maybe we're going to have to like switch. We all speak Danish in the kitchen. It's really easy. We're going to bring in this Australian guy. And it was once he came in, there was a few teething problems, but suddenly this guy just had like new energy and was able to like talk about things, bring in fresh ideas. And now I think he said they've got like 50 people in the kitchen and four people are Danish. They've got so many in there. And it's just kind of testament to how they've been able to absorb ideas and be taught things from other cultures and actually sort of make Danes aren't so good at that, actually. Mm. And part of it is, I think, it's a really great country and they do most stuff really, really well. And they have good reason to be confident in their abilities. Mm. It's really successful. They're the happiest people. They're super rich. They don't work very much. You know, life is great here. So you can understand being a bit complacent or a bit full Mm. of yourself about it. Uh, But I think that is a a problem. An, An example was, the uh, a few years ago when they started the Rise Accord, the travel card system. Mm. Other countries have done this systems and have been oh, through all yes. the 
teething troubles and know how they run. And they could have just bought a system from somewhere else. So this is public transport yeah. and it's like wanting to invent. Um, they had they insisted on making their own system and it was a disaster, you know, and they could have got the expertise from somewhere else. But they don't tend to look out internationally for ideas. It's fine that you want to invent it here, but at least look to all the other systems mm. and get some ideas and be humble, actually, humble enough to learn from them. I mean... To be fair, they did get... They did get the Italians to build the metro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which didn't work very well to start with. On the positive side mm. of Yantelong, because again, it's sort of going back to the wave of Nordic fetish. There was an article which was saying, what is the secret to Danish happiness? And they said, it, they said that Yantelong is the secret for Danish happiness. But the, the conclusion was actually a bit demoralizing, I thought, because they were saying that Danes aspire to be average. And if you have low expectations of life, then you can only be surprised. You, know, you can only be positive. So, um, your happiness is reality minus expectations. And it wasn't but, it no, was I think yeah. actually it is positive because it's a contentedness with everyday life, the humdrumness of everyday life. That is actually particularly what's being celebrated mm. in think, Denmark. I think that's what particularly grates people abroad when they're like, "No, you want to strive. We want to do more. We want to sort of really." be the best and this idea that oh in Denmark we just celebrate the humdrum and we can't we can't fully be ourselves fully I think, be the best but I think that has changed in recent years mm-hmm. in the last 20 years because you have these conspicuous successes from Denmark but the ones that are celebrated are in certain categories sporting success is cool and that's great mm-hmm. if you win the Tour de France you know that's amazing and fantastic if you're a handball player and you're successful that's great. That's fine. That's in the category acceptable striving. Mm-hmm. I don't know what other categories there might be. But academic? Yeah, academics. I mean, actually, that's a really interesting topic because that has been debated a lot in Denmark over the last five, ten years. Because what there was a study done um, on gifted children that turned out to fare very badly in the Danish system. In fact, they would often end up as something you could uh, call as a loser or something later in life because basically they um they would not fit in and you don't we don't celebrate academia in the way that you do in many other countries we do what not want to um talk up the children who have special gifts we don't want to give them extra help to achieve better because then they are going to stand out in the class and that's against our social contract to an extent and that meant that these children were basically left to their own devices and they were not challenged and they were not helped. And suffers quite serious psychological problems. Following that, yeah, basically, because whereas we have, if children, they don't fare well academically, we have a lot of help systems for them in Denmark. I don't think it's Yantelor. I think it's just Danish society and the way it's structured and the way the education system is particularly pernicious in the education system. This pushing the top down to meet the bottom rather than lifting the bottom students up to meet the top. And you have this awful phrase, which uh, particularly grates when I hear it. Girls who are very high achievers at school will be called Toltal's peer. Awful. 12 is like the A-plus grade in Denmark Mm. in their strange grading system. And it's a denigrating term. It kind of puts them, oh, they're they're Toltal's peer. You know, they work really hard and are high high achieving academically. And I'm thinking... These people should be celebrated and nurtured and fast-streamed and, you know, they're the future of the country. But I have a great example about 
this kind of approach from school. When my kids, one of my kids was putting on a play at school. I think it was Treasure Island. And we went along to watch the play. I hated going to school in Denmark and all the, all the parent involvement in school. I couldn't stand it. But that's just me. Anyway, I, I went along grudgingly to watch this play. And even though I understand Danish, I could not understand anything of what was happening in the play. And then I, at the interval, I realized it's because they were shifting the lead role every 10 minutes. So every child got a chance to play Long John Silver or whatever. Mm. So it was more important that everyone was equal than they'd put on a good story and tell the story so that the audience could understand it. I, I thought that was, that was yeah. mind-blowing to me. Mm. And I think that's a really good example of how the Yende Law works. And it is fantastic that everyone gets an opportunity to shine. I, I love that. And I think that there is incredible things about the way Danish culture works and how you get to celebrate each child. But it also means that we don't celebrate talent and excellence. And sometimes it comes in the way of a good story. But it is also what keeps our harmony and happiness going. Social media must be changing it and I think is changing it. And reality shows and globalization. And there's also the difference between Copenhagen and the rest of the country where these things operate in a different way. If you go outside of Copenhagen, it's stronger. The normative impulse is stronger. In Copenhagen, there's a little bit more latitude. You ask Copenhageners about Yantilor and they deny it and they say, no, no, it's, it's dead. It's nothing to do with us. It totally is. And I've given examples of, and these are all from Copenhagen people, but still there is a bit more latitude to strive, to mm. demonstrate your success. Social media is all about showing your best life on Instagram or whatever. So that has changed things. And I'm not sure if it's a good thing, actually, Josephine. I'm, I'm tending, in, as I get older, mm to drift more towards your approach to it, actually. I, I think that the key is, is sort of the acknowledgement of it's not your own success. It's not, the success is not just because of you. So I think that there's this sort of, one of the spectrum is, oh, we need to chop down all the tall poppies and no one's allowed to do anything. And then there's this other aspect is, oh, just sort of let people be free and like do, do whatever. And then you can end up with these sort of vastly in, unequal outcomes. And I think... When the, the bits which I like are sort of when you find this balance of we will allow the people who have who are smartest to flourish, but have an acknowledgement that this is not just their own achievement. It has come about from being a part of a society or, or this sort of collective. And that way you sort of continue to have this societal thing of like, I'm willing to pay back into this as opposed to I've now got really rich because I'm an absolute superstar. I'm not going to pay any taxes. See you later. Versus, okay, I've I acknowledge that I've had some skills here. I've made a great business, but it was also because I have a I have a debt to the society which I now want to pay back to. I think that's sort of the bit where it sometimes yeah. breaks in. You can see a difference between the two big sports stars in Denmark at the moment. Mm. One of whom was the badminton no world number one, who went to live in Dubai, and got a total shitstorm. Was really criticised for that. And then you have the guy who's just won the Tour de France, and in interviews in the media coverage in Denmark. It was constantly going back to his early days at the cycle club in his hometown in Jutland and how important they were. He was constantly being acknowledged and they would the TV coverage would come from his old cycle club and they'd always, over and over and again, during the last week or two of the whole thing, it was constantly going back to, ah, oh, yeah, but he came from where Yantilors originate, yes, actually. Exactly. And he was a humble guy and he was one of those successes that were unexpected because he... First of all, he's not been bragging, so we haven't heard a lot about him before. But um, also, he was quite small growing up, so no one really believed in him. And that's why 
I think now people are comfortable celebrating him. He's an underdog who's done well. That's, the, that's Not only that, but he was best in the mountains, which was quite bizarre for a Dane. Mm. So I think he's a really interesting case. And I also think it's interesting with sports because we are much more comfortable celebrating sports. And we have very particular sports that we think are important and relevant in Denmark. I mean, that's about conformity again. So if you pick a sport that is not the average sport, then also people are not interested. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just been my misfortune to really come to Denmark, right? Because being a, a, any kind of literary success is not particularly highly regarded. No. The, the literary stars in Denmark tend to come from what's called the folkily spec end of the spectrum, the kind of populist, whether it's the singer like Kim Larson, a troubadour kind of working class singer, or Paul Dissing, who, who sung these kind of very uh, quotidian topics. Or in literature, uh, I don't know, there aren't many great literary stuff. There are thriller writers and things like that. But, but, but someone like Knul Roma, who's more on the literary spectrum, doesn't really get lauded. Like If he was in France, he'd be a living god and everyone would hang on his every word. God knows he has enough words to give. But in Denmark, he's kind of, mm, we're not sure about that kind of intellectual success. What about acting? Because you've got like Maz Mikkelsen for example, and some very big Danish stars, they seem to be quite well celebrated, especially well, when you see Yeah, them. but they always stress their humility in interviews. Yes. Always. They're very self-deprecating. They're very, they talk about when they come back to Denmark, they're changing nappies and just living normal lives and that kind of thing. The Danes love that. And they put their efforts into good causes. So, for example, they work with sustainability and so on. So yeah. they, they, they give back to society and they make sure that they show that mm this is not the important part of life, all of this wealth and so on. It's just like, yeah, great. But actually the real thing is that we're all together and, you know, we're equal. I think it's interesting that you mentioned Paul Dissing and some of the singers that are iconic in Denmark and celebrated. Because this morning, in fact, I was reminded of a fantastic poet and pianist who passed away, I think it's one or two years ago, who's called Benny Anderson. His songs... And his lyrics are really, really perfectly capturing what we like to They're celebrate. They're so in Danish. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's one, it's called Svendes Lugeli Day, which the lyrics are so fantastic, but it's basically one of the lines is like, happiness is not the worst we have, and in a moment the coffee is ready. It is celebrating sort of the basic life, the everyday humdrums of life, as that is what's important. It's not successes. It's not you standing out, having achieved something. It's just living the ordinary life as a good person. I'm quite fascinated by that song, actually. And I was talking to someone about it the other day, about why is this, there's something, it pierces the Danish soul, that song. And it's because I think it mixes a bit of melancholy with something very ordinary and everyday and finding joy in something very, very normal, having a nice cup of coffee. Yeah. And that's enough. And it's beautiful. Exactly. And that now we've talked about Yendelon and all the negative impacts, but that also shows the beauty of it and celebrating. I think another line um, in, the, in the song is um, Nina, who is his wife, the, the guy who's singing, Nina has taken a shower. And it's quite I'm a sexy song. Yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nina has taken her shower, and I'm eating my cheese sandwich. Yeah, that is the best of life. 
And then this guy, Paul Dissing, who actually sang these songs that were written by Benny Anderson, he basically sang it in a very down-to-earth way that actually to the international ear can sound really ugly. But it was sort of a jazzy way of putting the everyday man's feeling into the way that you're singing. And so even, I mean, Kim Larsen, you mentioned as well, actually to an international ear, a lot of the Danish music sounds terrible. It does. But we love it because it, it makes us feel at home. It's down to earth. It's wholesome. I think foreigners get a free pass a bit. And I have kind of ignored it, Yantilor, generally. And Danes know that as a foreigner coming here, you have a different approach to things. And they're conscious of it. They're aware of not celebrating success and they're aware of this criticism. So as a foreigner coming here, you're, you're kind of a little bit immune. Mm. The longer you're here, though, you kind of might lose a bit of that immunity. Um, Michael, where can people who listen to this, where can they learn more about you? I have a website, michael-booth.com. I'm on Twitter at the Michael Booth, which is very un <laughs> Twitter handle, actually, isn't it? I should have been a Michael Booth if yeah, I was doing it in a Danish a, way. Another, another just, Michael, just one of those Michael Booths. Yeah. yeah, no, it's the Michael Booth, yeah. and I've regretted that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm finally integrating into Denmark. Very good. Uh, yeah, we'll link to those uh, in the show notes. Um, yeah, thank you so much, much for Michael. joining oh, It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. I could talk a lot longer about it. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it? It was. One thing that we should just mention is that Jendelon comes from a fictional book and it's called In Flüchtling Krüser Sitz A Fugitive Crosses His Tracks. Yep, and it's written by Axel Sandemos in 1933. Thanks so much to Michael for joining us and to Andreas Gröning, who's our producer, and Tevin Sudi, who's editing the show. You can learn more about What the Denmark by visiting whatthedenmark.com and by following us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for What the Denmark. Vi ses næste gang. We didn't manage to talk about interior design, everything being identical, but that will be for oh another God. episode. It's just a mystery to me how those design magazines in Denmark how function, because they're, ever since I've been coming here for 20 years, they've been doing exactly the same interiors. I know. Everything, I know. It's, there's nothing changes. Yeah.